You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 930 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you on a Saturday evening into Sunday. And today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to builtbar.com, use the promo code Locked On, you get 20% off your next order with Built Bar. As always, we'll dive into what became a 125 to 113 loss for the Hawks at the hands of the Indiana Pacers. A pretty brutal performance down the stretch. For Atlanta, that's been a theme this season, no question about it, and that's unfortunate, of course. The Hawks have now lost six of their last seven. That is not where they want to be in mid-February, and they're now number 10 in the East in the standings. Now, they're pretty close to everybody else in that range, but still, after this kind of one-in-six stretch, they're in some trouble with regard to the rest of the schedule in the first half and all of that stuff, and uh, teams are much together, but not where you want to be. Let's just say that at the top of the podcast, and the Hawks blow a lead in the fourth quarter once again, and that'll be the theme that we talk about later on in the show. Coming into the game, as we'll start at the top, as we often do on the podcast, the Pacers were actually 2-6 and six in their last eight games, so they were struggling a little bit on their own. Both teams had injury issues. The Pacers are without TJ Warren right now, for instance, but the Hawks were very shorthanded once again in this game, uh, missing their top two wings in DeAndre Hunter, who I think his absence has been hugely valuable um, in terms of it shows his value and also just makes it seem like the Hawks are in dire straits because they kind of, they kind of are, Hunter being awesome so far this season, was uh, a big revelation, and he's been missed greatly. And then by Donovich as well, you throw in Chris Stellan, you throw in Rajon Rondo, and they actually missed Tony Stell in this game. That's not a small loss right now. I know it's kind of weird to say that, but with all the injuries that they already have, being without Snell in this, in this spot, put the Hawks in a very, very shorthanded spot. In fact, Atlanta had five perimeter players out in the same game, leaving them with only about five and a half perimeter guys active on the entire roster. And that included Brandon Goodwin and Skylar Mays, neither of which are supposed to be rotation players. And the uh, the sixth guy is Solomon Hill, who's really more of a four, who can play a little bit of the three, but they were very short-handed. And the fact, the second half, the Hawks played eight guys in the second half of this game. And that's the right decision, honestly. Um, I mean, this is obviously a close one, but they just could not afford to go any deeper into the bench in the second half. And that gets you into some spots where you are... Uh, Shorthanded and maybe fatigued. Obviously, they downplayed that. Pierce said that as well after the game. That no one wants to admit, admit fatigue, but on back-to-back, playing eight guys in the second half, you're uh, p- perhaps at a deficit. We'll just say against a Pacers team that was uh, on full rest. So that that's kind of this uh, the slate as we get into the game here. The Hawks were actually a one and a half point underdog according to our friends at BetOnline.ag in this game. So kind of a toss-up, but lean towards Indiana given the rest of Ange and all that stuff. And the Hawks played, like I said before, pretty well until the fourth quarter. But we'll start at the top, as we always do. Um, sort of a sloppy start for both teams in this game. It was 4-4 four to four after about almost four minutes of this game, so it was kind of uh, ugly at the outset, and the offenses got going after that. Some turnovers from the Hawks in the early going. Cam Reddish actually had a second foul in the first five minutes. They went to Skylar Mays as the first sub. Before the game started, Lloyd Pierce revealed to the media that Skylar Mays earned some playing time in this game with the way that he played last night. Um, I can't argue with that for sure, but I will say this right now, and this is not a slight to Skylar, I'm not sure he, that Lloyd would have said that same exact thing if not for the fact that the Hawks were, again, missing five guys in the perimeter. He kind of had to play Skylar Mays in this game, and it makes it a little bit easier for the guys' confidence and uh, makes it an easier sell if you just kind of say, look, Skylar earned this playing time. He, and he did. He played great last night. But um, I'm not sure he would have been necessarily in the rotation just because of that performance if they had had everybody else available in this spot. He was the first sub because of Cam's um, 
foul trouble. And he played he played okay. He missed a couple shots, but other than that, like he wasn't like a huge liability out there on the floor uh, in his first stint of playing time. Uh, they got, they went to Collins quickly, a couple of post stops in the first in the first quarter, which were pretty good, I thought, um, pretty decisive and effective for um, Atlanta. They called timeout in the first quarter late after uh, a couple of defensive breakdowns in a row. They actually went to Bruno Fernando as a backup center in this game over a Kongwu. I'm going to play some audio for you later on about a Kongwu and that decision. Um, but Pierce talked about, broadly speaking, before the game, he was asked about how about how they're going to treat a Kongwu moving forward. And uh, I'll play that for you a little bit later. But they went to, they went to Bruno in this game. He wasn't great, nor was he absolutely terrible either. Um, and then they had actually a pretty good pick-a-pop game for Gallinari in the early going, but he actually drew a three-shot foul at the buzzer, made two of them, cut the deficit down to one. So the Hawks were kind of back and forth, back and forth. They held on with, without Trey Young late in the first quarter, and they had 11 assists in the opening period. Um, the Pacers started out slowly as a shooting team. They, of course, got hot later in this game, but a lot of back and forth in the first quarter. That continued into the second as well. They started out with, with Brandon Goodwin at the point guard spot. They actually played Skylar Mays at the point in the first quarter for a little bit of time with Trey off, with Trey off the floor. They went to Goodwin to start the second, along with Herter, Gallinari, and then Solomon Hill. Um, the Hawks actually assisted on 13 field goals in a row to start this game. They had their uh, one of their highest assist rates of the entire season. They were really passing the ball quite well in this game, which is a, a positive if you want to find one. They brought Young and Capella back together and actually played him with with Goodwin because, again, they were so shorthanded. They had to go with uh, either Goodwin or Mays with Trey at various times. Um, there was one... Pretty bad finishing spot for Clint Capella where he missed a point blank. I think it was probably going to be a dunk, but he lost the ball. And then he actually missed two more later on in the, in the first half. So it was not his best offensively around the rim. Still ended up, by the way, leading the team in scoring in this game. He was pretty good overall, but a couple of uh, missed bunnies in that first half that I wanted to point out quickly. Um, Trey seemingly dinged up his right hand and talked about that after the game. He was shaking it and favoring it. He had it taped up after that. Uh, no definitive injury that we, that we know about right now. That the Hawks announced, but obviously he was at least in some pain, and that's something to monitor because looking ahead, Trey did not, Trey did not attempt a single three in this game. I'm not sure if that was because of his hand, but he was passive in that way. He, he still had 14 assists. He was good for the most part, but that was something that was uh, certainly notable because Trey does not go full games without attempting a three, so maybe that was weighing on him. It, it was on a shooting hand, which is uh, worth pointing out here. Um, there was a huge dunk by Cam Reddish early, uh, sorry, late in the second quarter on a drive to his left, going back to the right. Uh, unfortunately, he didn't get back on defense on that one, and they, and they gave up a layup. Uh, Cam was celebrating, and I guess with good reason, but uh, gave up a layup on that one, and it was partially because he didn't get back on defense. And that kind of happened a couple times, actually, in the second in the second quarter with the Hawks scoring and then giving up a pretty easy transition layup or quick bucket for the Pacers. So it was, it was a lot of offense on both sides in the second quarter. In fact, the Pacers scored 19 points in the first five minutes of the second quarter. They were flying. The Hawks got down by as many as 10 at one point. Um, in the second, um, came in a big three, actually. He had a good catch-and-shoot rhythm three, and then Trey Young hit some free throws. Um, they had a 14-5 to run, the Hawks did, to get, to get back within one after being down by 10. And then, of course, the Pacers, after a timeout, scored seven in a row, so kind of a, a, a run and a run and a run. Um, but there was actually a pretty hilariously glacial layup, like very slow from Gallinari, plus the foul. He missed a free throw. By the way, Gallinari was 39 of 40 from the free throw line coming into the game. That was number one in the NBA. He missed two in this game. So he was he's now uh, cold, I guess, at the free throw line. Kind of a weird stretch late in, this, in the second quarter. Collins, but Collins got a layup stuck in the rim. Um, one of those wedgie things that the starters always talk about. And then the Collins, uh, Collins misses a dunk in transition, which is not Normally what happens there, he tried to guess go a little bit too hard and miss, the, miss a dunk pretty badly. And then on the other end of the floor, Miles Turner misses a dunk for the Pacers. Uh, he was fouled 
it was not called, but he was fouled by Kevin Harder. He obviously got him in the arm. But still, a couple of missed dunks in a row from good players and bigs is not something you see every day. That happened at one point. It actually ended up benefiting the Pacers because they actually got a layup um, out of a out of a timeout. Or sorry, out of a stoppage um, right after that from uh, Dubbin Dermott, who's actually quite good in this game for Indiana. At any rate, the Hawks down by four at the half. They were hanging around, played reasonably well, shot reasonably well. Only three threes in the first half. Um, they still scored reasonably well in the first half. Actually had 21 assists, their season high for any half before halftime. Nine for Trey Young on his own. And then the Pacers didn't shoot incredibly well, but only had three turnovers in the first half, and they ended up outpacing the Hawks offensively. They were really throughout this contest, before I forget to say this, they were really start, uh, targeting Danilo Gallinari. Obviously, Trey Young is always a target defensively for for the opposition. You can definitely see that. You saw that at times, especially in the fourth quarter of this game. But Gallinari, it's been really apparent um, that he is not, he's never good. As I, as I talked about this the entire offseason after they signed him, even before they signed him, that was going to be a question mark for me as to how you're going to build a defense with Gallinari. Um, he looks worse now than I thought he was going to look, which is not good because I thought he was going to be pretty bad defensively. He's not moving well. And especially in the first half, the Pacers tried to run, I thought, intentionally with Gallinari on the floor because he's not changing ends super well. And they got a lot of easy transition buckets as a result of at least not only him, but that was at least part of the game plan, I thought, from Indiana. The Hawks were balanced in the first half. Um, seven, seven guys scored six points or more, but Doug McDermott was pretty hot for the Pacers. had 17 points before halftime. Still, the Hawks down four. They were hanging around and will uh, have plenty more let's just say, on the second half. Before we dive into the second half and some takeaways and all that stuff, a word from our sponsors on the show, and the first of which is betonline.ag. Football may be over, but the NBA, college basketball, the NHL, and many more sports are in full swing, but there's only one place that has you covered, one place that we trust, and that place is betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. You can sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag. Use the promo code LOCKEDON for 50% welcome bonus with the site. On top of the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL, baseball is on the way in the near future and all kinds of additional angles to handicap, including awards, TV shows, and reality TV. In fact, there are dozens of real-time updated props on almost anything you can imagine, and BetOnline has you covered for all of the news, scores, and odds, including future bets, if you want to look way ahead. It is the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Do not sit on the sidelines anymore. Instead, get in on the action and visit the website or use a mobile device to sign up today. Don't forget to use the promo code Locked On to receive that 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. One more time, that is promo code Locked On for 50% welcome bonus at BetOnline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, so the second half, and uh, a lot of interesting stuff here, obviously, to get into. Some good and mostly bad, especially in the fourth quarter. The third was much better, though, obviously. As you watch this game, you would know the third quarter was a positive. For Atlanta, they outscored the Pacers 29-22. They got a lot of stops in the third. They opened up with a 7-2 run at the outset, capped by Kevin Herter 3, take a one-point lead. A nice short roll pass by John Collins when Trey Young got when Trey Young got trapped at the top of the key. That was a good play by John. Uh, Trey had 11 assists in the first 26 minutes of his game, and that was not only his, his 26 minutes, I'm talking about overall 26 minutes. So with 10 minutes left in the third quarter, he had 11 assists. He also drew the fourth foul on, on Simonis early in the third. He was really, really good to open the second half. And after being down by 10, again, down 10 in the first half, the Hawks were... They opened up, opened up with a 24-12 run in the, four, in the third to go up by eight. So they took control for the most part. It wasn't like it was a blowout. They weren't in huge control, but they were certainly in the lead for the vast majority of the second half. A pretty bad challenge by Lloyd Pierce that I didn't really understand, quite frankly. That got lost in all the other stuff that happened here, but I want to make sure that I mention it because I go through all this stuff as I always do. It was a bad challenge. Uh, they called Solomon Hill for a block on Malcolm Brogdon. I think it probably wasn't a block. I think it was actually a bad call. 
but it was not overturned and it was never going to go overturned. That's one of those where like, even if you win it, I think it's probably still a bad challenge because the leverage was so low. It was a two point shot attempt. Yes, they got free throws out of it, but it wasn't like a three point shooting foul. It was in the third quarter, uh, not a huge leverage play. And he also lost it. So that makes it even worse. You know, I, I don't want to bury that. It wasn't the, the it didn't change the game, but that was a bad decision. And I called that out live. I just didn't understand that one at all. And challenges are pretty easy to evaluate in the grand scheme of things. So that one uh, blew my mind a little bit. Anyway, they still, the Hawks saw it off it's a little bit, actually, and got bailed out in the third quarter because the Pacers didn't score either in that little stretch. The Hawks only scored two points in about four minutes, but they uh, were not beaten up by the Pacers because they were not scoring either. They actually got away with sitting Trey Young late in the third. Uh, I say that because it was a 7-0 run by Indiana as soon as Trey sat, which is not what you want to see, but the Hawks did get back and stabilize it a little bit. They still were only up by three. Uh, and then, uh, actually, they brought Trey back in on offense late in the third to, I, I think, attempt to stop the bleeding. That was probably a good decision overall. It didn't like it wasn't like he was great in that little stretch, but it didn't give them any more blood. And they actually held the Pacers to 7 of 20 shooting in the third quarter. Of course, it all regressed in the fourth, but that, it, that did happen. And they gave one, they gave Trey one more final rest in the to start the fourth quarter and actually won that stretch. Uh, that's notable because the Hawks don't often do that. And the Hawks went, you know, that was... If you were trying to tell me, if I didn't watch the game, and I heard the Hawks give up a huge run in the fourth quarter and nothing else, I would have thought it was probably with Trey on the bench. That's happened a lot this season. In this game, it didn't happen. They actually won the fourth quarter minutes without Trey, and then he was on the court when they kind of gave up the swoon later on. It wasn't only on him, by the way. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that, but usually the correlation is the Hawks are worse with Trey on the court. Sorry, worse with Trey off the court. And this game, uh, not as much. So um, the Hawks, not to do the whole thing here, there was a big swing about the eight-minute mark that I circled, and I'm not sure it mattered that much in the grand scheme of things, but it was a open three by Gallinari that he missed on the left wing. That was the theme, by the way, in this game. And then McDermott makes one for Indiana right back about 10 seconds later. And that gave the Hawks... They're still up by two, and that was a timeout spot for Atlanta. But if Gallinari makes that three, they're up by, they're up by eight. And that was one that I wanted to at least circle and point out. Um, elsewhere, it was a good... ATO play out of that, by the way. They ended up with a, a lob dunk for Capella. A nice design there by the coaching staff for the Hawks. Um, but then Indiana hits a three. The Hawks miss then. Pacers score, and suddenly the Hawks are down down one after leading for most of the, of the second half. It was a 10-2 run by the Pacers. Um, credit to Atlanta. Reddish hits a three to stabilize things. That was kind of the last marker that I will put down here. I'm not going to do the whole play-by-play -play from there, although I will do one, <laughs> one little stretch at one point there. But Cam hit a three. Right there at the 629 mark of the of the fourth quarter. That put the Hawks up 103 to 101. The rest of the game it was 24-10 in favor of the Pacers. And it was actually worse than that if you factor in the fact, you know, late didn't really matter. It was out of hand. So that's where I would circle to kind of start where the swoon happened. It was going a little bit before that because the Hawks were up by eight, but uh, they were still winning with six and a half minutes to go and lost by 12. Um there was one bizarre trip that I want to outline because I made sure I reference it. Um the Hawks actually ended up tying the game on this one, so it was a positive possession. But Colin shot an air ball kind of weirdly on a about a, about a 10-foot turnaround. Capella gets the rebound, gets stuck on a shot clock violation potentially because it didn't hit the rim. And he actually made like a jump shot, like a contested jump shot to tie the game. And that was their best possession, by the way, for like a three-minute stretch, which tells you all you need to know. That was their one positive trip, and it was really kind of an accident because Capella made a jump shot. So Aaron Holiday got going on offense. I will say this, broadly speaking now, before we move on, the biggest 
problem in this game was not offense. I'm going to talk about the offense in a second, and there was the one stretch where the offense just kind of gave out. But the big problem in this game was defense, not offense. That is important to keep in mind. Aaron Holiday went crazy at one point. I think he had like 10 points in like three minutes. It was pretty wild. Um, And uh, that, that prompted the Hawks to call a timeout down four. Pacers then scored with McConnell going right at Gallinari. Again, they were targeting him. Even TJ McConnell is not exactly an offensive creator as a small guard, but he went right at Gallinari, hit a little floater over him. Uh, Gallo could, couldn't stay couldn't stay with it. He misses a three. Anyway, the ball goes down. The ball goes rolling down the hill. It's a 17 to two run from when the Hawks hit that three. Reddish hits the three with 6:29 to go to go up by two. From that point forward, um, it was a 17 to two run by the Pacers. So you go up two to down 13. And there's your ball game. So, I'm going to read you the next several possessions offensively, quickly. And I, I tweeted this, so you probably already saw it if you follow me on Twitter, which I'm sure some of you do. Um, after the Cam 3, this is this is the run from there. Cam misses a 3. It was a step back. Collins misses that 8-footer, followed by the Capella jump shot. That was the one positive possession. Then Trey Young turns it over twice in a row, in pretty bad fashion both times. Then Gallinari misses a 3. Herter misses a 3. Trey gets his shot blocked, and then Gallinari misses another three. That was that. That was that whole stretch from of that 72, 17-2 run. Um, I I quote tweeted actually right before I started recording. Caitlin Cooper, who covers the uh, covers the Pacers, does a great job by the way. Follow her if you enjoy NBA basketball. But Caitlin tweeted out a, a clip of the Pacers zone defense in the fourth quarter, and this is something that we that I'll get into a little bit later on, sort of broad strokes, but. If you watch that clip, it's like five or six plays, and only one of them is a bad shot for the Hawks. It's the Hawks just missing wide open threes. And I know defensively there's no excuse for how bad the Hawks were in the fourth quarter, but offensively they really just did miss a bunch of shots that they need to make. And if you don't believe me, go watch the game again. I know this is uh, something that I point out sometimes, but uh, there's nothing. There's no way to explain it otherwise, and this is something that this is a Pacers person that put it out talking about that same thing. The Hawks just missed a bunch of open shots with good shooters. It was Herter, it was Gallinari, especially Gallinari late. He missed a bunch of open shots. Um, and yeah, that's what happens. But then defensively, they, they just couldn't get stops. And that, that was the, again, that was the bigger focus in this game was, de- was defense and defense, defense. And there you go. So, in the fourth quarter, I will throw the numbers over the board now. Uh, in the fourth, the Pacers scored 1.64 points per possession. That, that, that's courtesy of NBA.com's stats portal. 1.64 points per possession is insane. If you're not a huge numbers person, the best offense in the league scores about 1.2, we'll say, just to round it off. So that's about another half point per possession, which is an incredible amount. No one scores 1.64 points per possession for an entire quarter. That doesn't really happen very often, especially in the fourth quarter of a competitive game. And that's what happened. The Pacers shot 12 of 16, sorry, 12 of 17 from the floor, 4 of 6 from 3, got to the line 16 times in the fourth, 13 of 16. So just an unbelievable efficiency. You know, I will say they made a bunch of shots, but the pace, the Hawks have to take blame for some of this, um, if, if not most. Like, defensively, it was not good in the fourth quarter. Uh, that goes without saying. Offensively, the Hawks actually weren't that bad. Uh, as funny as that is, to lose a quarter by 15 points, uh, the Hawks actually scored 1.04 points per possession, which is below average. It's not good, but it's not atrocious. Like, if I told you the Hawks lost, lost a quarter by 15 points, my guess would probably be like a 90 offensive rating, and they had a 104. So, yes, offense was not was not good, but they just missed a bunch of open shots. They shot 4-12 from three. They got, they got a 12-3-point 12, 12 attempts in the fourth quarter, which is actually kind of funny because the Hawks 
only attempted 31 in the game. So, you know, almost 40% of their three-point attempts happened in the fourth quarter. They just missed a bunch of them. And they got to the line six times, were four of six. They were only five of 12 on twos. It just wasn't, shots weren't going in. And uh, it's kind of hard to do this. The Hawks had a season high, yes, a season high in assists. And again, they lost by double digits. They have 35 assists. Now, that's a lot. Their previous high was 32, and the Hawks were passing the ball really well offensively. And it's also hard to do this, and actually something that Pierce brought up um, unprompted, and I think I agree with him on this one. Um, they have 35 assists and only made nine threes. Like, that's also hard. With a lot of the assists the Hawks generally get, other than Trey Young lobs, basically, a lot of them are swings on on uh, or kickouts on threes. And it's really hard to pull that off. So offensively, again, not the, really the problem, except for that one stretch in the fourth. And again, broadly speaking, the Hawks scored 1.11 points per possession in the entire game, which is about what they're averaging for the season. So it wasn't, again, not lights out offense, but not bad at all. Like, pretty decent. Defensively, though, they allowed 121 defensive rating, and that's going to get you beat most nights, uh, and that happened in this game. So that's the broad takeaways of the numbers. Now, there is stuff we need to get into about uh, who to blame in the fourth quarter and all of that stuff, and I'm going to do that momentarily. But first, a word from our sponsors, and the first of which is Built Bar. I've been telling you for a long time that Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, and that is still very much the case. But also, the new and improved Built Bar is even more delicious. The original flavors are fantastic, and they continue to be so. But now, there are 18 amazing flavors to choose from, including new selections like caramel brownie, lemon almond cheesecake, and, a, and of course, my personal favorite, and cookies and cream. Each bar is covered in 100% chocolate, and they're all soft and easy to chew, which is also very important to point out. And from there, I should remind you that Built Bar is also fantastic. For those of us trying to be health conscious, you can maintain or even lose weight while still enjoying something that's absolutely delicious. Bars are low calorie, high protein, low sugar, and high fiber. And Built Bar is even great if you're on the keto diet with all the nutrients you need. And again, a taste that puts other competitors in the space to absolute shame. In order to check it all out, BuiltBar.com is the place to go. Yes, it's BuiltBar.com right now and use the promo code LOCKEDON when you get there. When you visit BuiltBar.com and use that promo code, you'll get 20% off your next order with Built Bar. One more time, that is BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off your next order. Check it all out at BuiltBar.com and try Built Bar today. All right, so... Uh, here we are. Uh, we just broke down the entire game, as well as the stats and our broad takeaways. And usually I would just move on to the, to the individual breakdowns. I'll stop here for now. If you're a listener to this podcast, or if you follow me on Twitter, you will know that uh, I'm, I'm a little bit, I've been a little bit annoyed with the, how much of the sky is falling Fire Lloyd Pierce takes there have been in the last few weeks. I, I get it. Some of it's just being a fan and you blame the coach and I get that. I'm, I'm a Falcons fan. I blame Dan Quinn for everything. Um, with that said, it's, it's hard to push back on that as much today uh, just because of the results. And like I said, I, I just watched the fourth quarter before I started recording this. And everything that Lloyd said post-game about the shots not going in for the Hawks and the shots going in for the Pacers is true. Objectively, I'll put my analyst hat on. If you watch that fourth quarter by shot quality, there is no chance, none, that it should have been 41-26 in favor of the Pacers. And some of that's just variance. But the Hawks lose the ability to, and I, and I, you know, my part of my job, and I think people appreciate this on some level. I'm sure people get mad about it as well. But part of my job is, and I think, is to look at stuff objectively and be level-headed and not get too high, not get too low. And I try to do my, I try to prime myself on that, honestly. But this is the seventh loss this season, and here we are in mid-February. This is the seventh loss this season, in which the Hawks were leading entering the fourth quarter. 
That's a lot of losses in the first 26 games when they had a lead in the fourth quarter. Um, they're nine and seven. That, that's a bad record. If you're winning in the fourth, you should win more than that. Um, and they're 11 and 15 overall. They're not good in close games. Um, and those, those are all hallmarks. And I will, I will admit this right now. They're, those are all hallmarks of teams that are not winning the coaching battle. Do I think Lloyd Pierce is the worst coach in the world? Absolutely not. I do not. Um, I will also point out, this is something that I, I've never come on this podcast really ever and said that Lloyd Pierce was a huge plus as a head coach. That's strategic. I think that's important to note. And that's something that's, I think nationally, that's, that's kind of the way he's seen as well. It's like, he's he's solid. He's not Greg Popovich. He's not uh, Eric Spolstra at this point in time. So there is blame to go around. And I actually just tweeted this to someone before I started recording. I think there's always blame on all fronts for a team that's not playing well. I think there is blame to go around in the front office with some of the acquisitions that are not working out. There's blame on the coaching staff with stuff that I don't love that they've done so far this season. There's blame on the players because at the end of the day, the players have to make plays. Um, so it's kind of shared blame. I am never going to come on a podcast. Uh, at least I don't think I will uh, come on the show and demand that Lloyd Pierce is fired. That's not something that I'm going to do. I think people want me to do that. I'm not going to do that. Um, I think he did not do a particularly good job in some of these games at various points. And it's not just him, it's the staff overall. Um, and in this game, there's stuff to point at. So that's where we are. Like, for instance, I talked about the challenge, the challenge earlier, and that didn't make a huge difference, but that was, that was kind of a bad move. Uh, down the stretch, even with all the stuff I said about shot quality, uh, I didn't love going to Gallinari over Clint Capella. I didn't like that at all, actually. That was something that people focused on after the game, and usually I will tell you why something happened or give you... I didn't, I didn't love that. I, I, the theory of it, I, I think, makes some sense, some. And that, especially when the Hawks fell behind, um, you're maybe going with offense, trying to catch up. But Capella was just playing much better than Gallinari was. And yes, the Pacers were going without Sabonis. They were going smaller and quicker, and I think that was probably what, what did it. But right now, Gallinari defensively is not equipped to play against smaller, quicker defenders. I mean, sorry, quick, smaller, quick, quicker offensive players. And... You know, famously, that Brooklyn game early in the season, I pushed back heavily on people getting really mad at Lloyd for not playing Click Capella. I thought it was pretty obvious why that happened. In this game, I, I get why it happened. I would have gone with Capella. Uh, Gallinari, it's funny, because Gallinari had 20 points in this game. It actually was efficient overall. If you watch this game, it did not seem like that he had a good game, but he had 20 points on, on 14 shot attempts, which is kind of crazy. Um, but he was minus 20. And that's not necessarily indicative but his defense is kind of unplayable at this moment in time for instance um and you know the biggest shots of the game the hawks just missed i went i went through them all earlier that's three four minute stretch where they just missed open three after open three uh at least three if not all four of gallinari's misses were in that stretch uh plus herder missed one and cam took a bad step back and all that stuff you know same thing i mean some of the stuff you can't blend coaching for like for instance when you're missing wide open threes with good shooters, there isn't a coach in the world that would want Kevin Herter to not shoot a wide open three when they need a, when they need a bucket. Same with Gallinari. Um, Trey Young turns the ball over twice in a row. Trey's their best player. He's their centerpiece. Um, I don't know what a coach is supposed to do to have him not turn the ball over twice in a row. But the results are what they are, and the Hawks lost this game because of a fourth-quarter collapse, and they couldn't get stops. And, you know, there's cr credit slash blame to go around, and it's frustrating. I'm, I'm with you all the way. Uh, I'm not going to change the way that I evaluate basketball and somehow come on the podcast and just fire want to fire everyone. But it's frustrating, and, and I do understand. I understand why the blame is placed where it's placed often on the coaching staff because when you lose six out of seven and you are bad in the fourth quarter and all that stuff, those are usually hallmarks of coaching. And listen, I have no argument against that. There you go. Hopefully that covers all of my thoughts for now. 
We'll have more on that in the future if necessary. But the game itself, like, it's frustrating. I mean, I think that it's kind of ironic, and this is the last thing I'll say about the game, and then I will play a couple things for you before we get into individual stuff. Um, <laughs> it's ironic because if this game had happened in the middle of a normal, non-losing streak, if this game happens a month ago, I would have told you, and probably got yelled at, but I would have told you that this game is almost entirely explained by fourth quarter shooting luck. And I would have been right, quite frankly. It's just really hard to extrapolate because if you just pull this game out of context and watch it with no animus, no frustration coming in, the Hawks are not on a losing streak, all that stuff, and you just watch the fourth quarter, I would have told you, and I again, I think I would have been 100% correct and just said one team made shots, the other team didn't make shots. And a lot, a lot of times that actually happens in the NBA. But that won't fly now, and I totally get it because they're in this downturn and they can't win the fourth quarter, and the cumulative effect means that people get frustrated, and I totally get that. So that's where I will leave it for now. The Hawks played well enough to win for three and a half quarters, and they and they lost, and now they need to get this, get this thing fixed because they're still fine, by the way. The Hawks are still in fine shape for the playoffs. They're not buried. They're not, the sky's not falling. They're totally fine, I think, in terms of what their actual realistic goal should have been coming into the season, which is like, you know, win 38 games out of 72. Um, but it's just one of those things where right now it feels brutal, and I totally get it. Okay, before we get out of here, some individual stuff at the end of the podcast. I will start on the bench real quickly here, and we're going to fly through this because I know, I know I'm going a little bit longer than usual. It's Saturday night, and it's Sunday now as I'm recording this, and I'm tired. It's been a long week, and uh, hopefully you guys are not going to revolt, but alas, here we are. To the bench. Uh, I'll do this first. The two guys that did not play in this game that were active were Nathan Knight and, and, and Onyeka Okongwu. Uh, Knight, not a surprise, obviously. He's a two-way guy. Um, Okongwu DNP CD is not a surprise right now, but is certainly notable, especially when Bruno Fernando plays. So, as I said before, early in the podcast, it was only one set for Bruno. He didn't do anything terribly well or poorly. But uh, this is interesting to hear now because before the game, this is pre-game again. I want to stress this is pre-game audio. He was asked, Lloyd Pierce was asked about how to handle a Kongwu by Chris Kirchner. And this is what he had to say about the entire situation with a Kongwu. You know, I, I, I honestly, um, you know, we've had, you know, obviously the two two-way guys, uh, Onyeka, Cam, Kevin Herter. And, you know, there's a consistency. And I think that's the beauty. If anything, I'm 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 crediting summer league and what the NBA has done for providing summer league, it's the greatest opportunity to, to evaluate your guys and what you see when, when guys don't play, you know, we saw cam and how he started last year and Kevin and how he started his first year and just the adjustment to the physicality, the speed, the timing, um, the conditioning, those things are, are, you can't, I don't care how good a player is. You, you can't, you can't really prepare for that until you get into the mix of it. And summer league is so fast and you can play with 10 fouls and guys are competing for jobs. So there's, there's even more intensity and pressure on the basketball. Um, it's a great opportunity for a young player to get adjusted to the NBA game. And when you miss it, you can feel it. And so, Oh, who's coming off an injury who didn't have a summer league and is playing in limited time and limited opportunity. His work ethic has to be great. It's got to be consistent. It's the only opportunity he's going to have to adjust to this game because the minutes just aren't going to be there, although we're, we've thrown them out there. We're not throwing them out there to be a rotational player right now. We're throwing them out there uh, mainly because we, we need a body, and it does give us an opportunity to, to get his feet wet some 
And so the evaluation is just how hard he plays, the effort he's playing with. I'm not worried too much about the mistakes. We want him to limit those. Um, but he's he's getting a feel for, for what it's like, and he's going to have a greater idea every time he has to come in and work out. So yesterday on the podcast, I talked about, about this a little bit, just the situation overall. And the Hawks are in this odd spot where they're trying to make the playoffs, and most teams that have top six picks are not where the Hawks are, where they spend all this money, and they're really in this playoff or bust. And that's kind of overstating, but playoff mold. So Akongwu, already behind the eight ball there, especially on a team where he was drafted. He's a center, really. Uh, and he was he's on a team with Clint Capella on it, who's now healthy. And the Hawks knew that. So this is a future-facing pick. That was always the case. Um, but also, he gets he gets injured, he's re-injured, and he's misses all of training camp. Then you have no summer league as Lloyd gets into there. He's not playing training camp. He's behind the eight ball. All that stuff. He's also a one-and-done guy. He's really young. All that. Um, so I am not worried is the wrong words, not a word that I would use, as I said yesterday on the podcast. With that said, it's interesting context because you're talking about Bruno Fernando, who Akong was a much better prospect then. That's not up for debate, but Bruno, you know, is been around for two seasons and he's older and more physically developed. And it's a back-to-back as well, which is noteworthy. I think I would still play Akong Wu pretty much every night on some level. I know he's not helping you, but the thing is, for me, the Hawks don't have another option that is better than him. Uh, you can maybe, maybe you could maybe argue that Bruno is better. Like right now, today, I s- probably still wouldn't do that. But if it's anywhere close, you just play Kongwu. They don't have a G League team, all that stuff, and the Hawks don't have anybody better. I mean, it's one of those things where their other option is essentially to play Capella or Collins at center of the entire game, which they're not. Maybe they'll do sometimes, but on a back to back, throw them out there. So I would have played Kongwu again tonight. I don't, I don't have a huge problem with them not doing it. Uh, but you can hear there that Pierce knows, and something I said yesterday, he's not ready to play right now and help them win. Most rookies aren't. I mean, there, there are exceptions to that. Obviously, we've seen a couple a couple this year that are, especially the older guys, like Halliburton was a multi-year college guy. He's been really good this season. And he's the guy the Hawks fans would have wanted at this point, and I totally get that because he's playing really well. Um, and then the older guys like Desmond Bain and Xavier Tillman, all those guys, they can help you more as rookies. But I will stress once again, and one last time on this podcast today, this is a future-facing pick. The Hawks drafted a Kongwu knowing they had Capella and knowing he'd have a small role this year. And that was before the injury and before I mean, he was injured when they drafted him, but it was before the setbacks and all that stuff. So don't panic, but I wanted to play that audio for you. It was, it was pretty interesting context from Lloyd. Okay, to the players that actually play, and then we'll get out of here. Um, a 10 rotation for the Hawks in this game, only eight after halftime. Mays and Fernando played in the first half. Mays missed two threes from the exact same spot, basically the same exact shot. They were pretty decent looks, missing both. That was kind of it for Skyler, so he couldn't find the magic that he had the other night, which is not, not a surprise. He's still a two-way guy. I like him still, but he's, he's a late second-round pick. Keep your expectations muted to some extent. Bruno, same thing. Um, Solomon Hill, 19 minutes, 105 from the floor. Not his best, necessarily. Uh, two assists and three rebounds, though, for Solomon. Goodwin had a pretty good game uh, in some ways. He was good in the first half, a little bit shakier in the second half when he came in, but had six points, four assists, a rebound, and uh, a steal in 17 minutes. And then Gallinari had this really bizarre game where, again, he had 20 points on 7-14 from the floor, 4-8 from the 3-4 from the free throw line. 20-7, and seven, like, you can't argue with that, but he was minus 20, and I, again, the, the defense can't be overstated. Like, it's really hard to be as poor as he is right now defensively and make a positive impact. And then offensively, he just didn't time it. Like his shots, the the ones he missed were big. Were just big. They just were big shots. I don't want to overstate it either because it's uh, there's noise in there. But they need more from Gallinari. They need him to be more physically ready to go. I tweeted this during the game, but the Hawks have to be hoping that Gallinari rounds back into form physically. 
because even last year in Oklahoma City, he's not he's not the guy he used to be. He used to be a pretty good athlete. He's not that anymore. He, and by the way, he was never going to be in Atlanta. But even if you watch film from last season in Oklahoma City to now, it is noticeable that he is less uh, less explosive, we'll say. So that that's going to hurt. We'll see how that goes in the future. And uh, yeah. Okay, to the starters, the five guys that have been starting the uh, this on, this whole run. And I'll, before I get into this now, I will just, again, stress, the Hawks are desperately missing DeAndre Hunter right now. That's not an excuse. I mean, it kind of is, but it's also just a reason. Hunter was playing so well, and they needed him. They still need him badly. But Dynamics would help, too, and he's out as well. So we could breeze past this, and I have been breezing past it at some, at some various points, but the Hawks are missing their two best wings right now. That's full stop. It's hard to get over that. That's worth pointing out. Okay. Um, Kevin Herter had a shaky night as a shooter. Two of eight from three. Actually had 10 assists, though. 10 points. He was minus 18. So it's kind of interesting to see that. Um, I don't think he was good, but he, his passing was good. And he was part of the uh, contingent of the Hawks, again, having a season high in assists in this game. It wasn't a terrible night for him, but he's, he's been better at times. Had a steal and a block as well, Kevin. Getting good, good defensive uh, effort from him. Reddish had a pretty good game, all things considered. Uh, 18 points for Cam. He, he was under control. He had the one shaky step back in the fourth quarter, but I thought he was under control and assertive, taking what the defense was giving him. He took 10 shots. There were seven of them, for, seven of them were threes. He had three of seven. Got to the line four times. Uh, one rebound, one assist, one steal, one block. Four fouls. He actually had foul trouble in the first half as well, which cost him some playing time. But I thought Cam overall, it was a good, it was a good night for Reddish. So good to see that as a step forward. Um, John Collins was okay. 18 points, 9 rebounds. A very John Collins game in a lot of ways. Missed all three of his threes, but other than that, he did pretty well. I thought he played okay. And then Clint Capella, 24 points, 10 rebounds, a steal, and a block. He was actually plus 12. So again, plus 12 and a 12-point loss. That's one of those things that, for better or worse, is going to get people yelling at the coach. And I, as I said before, I I would have played Capella in the fourth quarter. And I said that live, uh, you know. Gallinari didn't really have it going enough for me to not want to go back to Capella in that spot. So I will criticize. I don't think it's the end of the world, but I would have gone with Capella there. At any rate, 28 minutes, he played well, finished well, except for that one little that one little cold spell in the first half, but played well defensively as well. And uh, he would definitely would have helped the defense at times in the fourth quarter. And then Trey Young had, a, had an odd game. 14 assists. That's his third most of the season. He was passing the ball at a great level. That's at the line 11 times. Made nine of them. Had the hand injury, so we'll see what that lingers as. Hopefully nothing, as the Hawks play again on Monday. Um, 15 points. It's bizarre that he didn't, that he didn't take a three. That, that has to be said. Um, again, it could be could be, t- could be tied to the hand, but he was not as aggressive as a scorer in this game, which there's there's pros and cons to that. He was, I think, awesome at times in this game, honestly. But then defensively, he was picked on throughout this game. He's had some better defensive moments this season, without question, but he got beat up a little bit by Aaron Holiday, by Brogdon at times in the first half. Um, it wasn't only him. I thought Gallinari was probably worse, honestly, in terms of like defensive impact in this game than, than Young was, but uh, you can certainly see it sometimes with that said. So, I don't know. That's that's the rundown of the players. Uh, not a lot of like overwhelming positives, but not a lot of terrible negatives either, so you can take what you want from that. All right, before we get out of here, last thing on the podcast. The Hawks are off on Sunday. Then a back-to-back, uh, sorry, after the back-to-back. And then an interesting road game, I will say, on Monday against the Knicks. The Knicks are actually, right now, ahead of the Hawks in the standings. And the Hawks struggled against the Knicks earlier, earlier this season. So, that's an interesting spot. You know, obviously, no one wanted to get swept in this back-to-back at home. Um, but the Knicks are not as good as the Pacers or the Spurs. And, uh, you know, that's a game that even has more pressure on it now. The, you do not want to lose another one on Monday because the schedule then gets more difficult from there. And uh, we'll spend some more time on that later on next week, I, I would imagine. But 
the schedule is not going to be terribly kind to Atlanta um, in these coming days. So you have that game against the against the Knicks, then you play Boston three out of four games. And Boston is not like a juggernaut necessarily, but they're better than a lot of teams the Hawks be playing. And those are the first two against Boston are on the road Wednesday and Friday. So the Knicks and the Hawks, again, I think the Hawks are better than the Knicks. I really do. But the Hawks lost to the Knicks at home earlier this season. So circle that game. We'll talk, we'll talk about it on Monday. I'm not planning to do another show before then. Uh, if anything happens, I will break in and talk about it, of course, as I, always, as I always do if I'm able to do so. But no pod between now and Monday night. But Monday night will be here after that game. The best way to find the show, as always, is to go ahead and subscribe via the platform of your choice. I would love it if you told your friends about the podcast also. And thank you, as always, for doing that. And, uh, yeah, just listening in general. So if you have questions or comments, I'm available at BT Roland. It's been a bloodbath on Twitter the last few days, and I totally get it. I will try to answer as many as I possibly can. The, the hardest time for me to answer, honestly, is like in the fourth quarter of a game or right after the game because I'm in work mode at that point in time. But most other times, if I'm not working um, or if I'm at work and can answer because I do have a day job, I will do my best to get back to you. And as, as long as we're respectful, I will certainly answer questions. I, I think I'm doing a pretty good job with that. So anyway, please, please subscribe to the podcast. Please tell a friend about the show. Check out Peachtree Hoops, and we'll see you all next time.